This morning's sermon text is found in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Our Father and our God, would you teach us from your word today? Lord, we know certainly we need to hear from you. We know certainly we need your spirit to breathe life and strength and hope and help and peace into us today. So Lord, would you do these things? We plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, if you would, please take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. We are working our way, some of you might say plotting our way, through the book of Matthew. And um, today we come to the last section in chapter 22. I think it's a beautiful place for us to be because what's been happening in Matthew 22 is there's been a public questioning of Jesus taking place. There's been a public questioning of, who do you say that you are? What do you say that you came to do? And let's see if we can trap you. And they failed. They failed miserably. Or we should say they failed gloriously. But in this passage, Jesus does two things. Number one, he puts an end to the questioning by turning the question on them. And number two, he gives us a biblical theme to interpret who he is and what his work is and what his work will be. It's as if Jesus is saying in this passage, I'm going to help you know how to interpret what's about to happen. Because what's about to happen is Jesus is going to get more firm in his condemnations of the religious leaders of the day. Jesus is going to be betrayed, be arrested, be crucified, rise from the dead, appear to his followers. And he's giving them a biblical theme to guide their thinking as they wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus? Or maybe another way to phrase it would be, if we wanted to be really churchy, how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? How do we know that Jesus is the one? So what we're going to see in this passage is Jesus is going to ask the religious leaders a question that will prepare them to wrestle with his true identity as Messiah and 
Son of God. So, let's look at the passage together. If you're taking notes this morning, so what we're going to do in this sermon is we're actually going to go through the passage twice. We're going to go through it in the first point, and we're going to go through it in the second point. And we should be done halftime Titans game, maybe, something like that. Um, for those of you that don't follow football, it's about 2.15 this afternoon. Um, the first point this morning, a question of identity. Identity has become a political buzzword. That's not how I'm using it here today. Identity just simply means who someone really is, who someone really is. And so Jesus is going to lead the Pharisees. That's the ultra conservative religious people. He's going to lead them through a series of questions about the Christ or the Messiah. But in doing so, what he's really doing is also leading them through a series of questions about himself. Because Jesus is going to proclaim, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the one. But here he's kind of keeping it out there in the realm of idea. And so he asked him the question, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, the Christ is not a phrase that we would use a ton in our vernacular. I'm going to avoid the low-hanging fruit dad joke of Christ is not Jesus' last name. Um, It's not a phrase that we would use a ton, but Christ is a phrase that's synonymous with Messiah or the chosen one or longer but maybe clearer The one that God had long promised to bring God's blessing and God's kingdom to God's people. What do you think about the Christ? I mean, what do you think about the one that God has promised will bring his blessing and his kingdom to his people? Which means, what do you think about the Christ that you are waiting for? Now, just as an aside, if... You went to your neighbor's house today and said, what is your anticipation about the Messiah? They're probably going to shut the door in your face. They're going to be like, oh, you're one of those religious people. But if you went to your neighbor and you were having a cup of coffee and you said, how does God bring his blessings to people? How does God pour his love and mercy and grace on people? If we wanted God's blessing, where should we look? We don't realize that, but what you've just asked is, who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? And so Jesus is ultimately saying to these religious leaders, What do you think about the one that you know God is going to send? And then Jesus, kind of, before they can give an essay, kind of hones in on the question. He says, whose son is the Messiah? Now, you know, the joke is that most most questions in Sunday school could be answered with one of two (laughs) questions, right? 
I mean, excuse me. Most questions in Sunday school could be answered with one of two answers. God or sin? Like you got to have a little wisdom to know, is this, a, is this a good question? The answer is God. Is it a bad question? The answer is sin. So I think these Pharisees um, thought that Jesus had just thrown them the beautiful softball. Whose son is the Christ? Oh, that's easy. David. David. The Christ will be an offspring of David. Now, we should know in Hebrewism, son doesn't necessarily just mean father has a son, but it can mean any male heir running down the family tree. The Messiah most certainly is going to be a son of David. God promised that to David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. Don't you know that, Jesus? So, this seems like a simple bit of questioning, but then Jesus is going to, to kind of crank the gear a little bit. Verse 43. How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him, meaning Messiah, Christ, Lord, saying, and then Jesus is going to quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So, David writes, Yahweh, God the, God, the true God, the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, Yahweh said to David's Lord, meaning David's authority, David's superior, and possibly David's deity, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So what Jesus is ultimately saying to them is, how is it that the coming son of David was called Lord by David? Any of you call your children Lord? Anybody? If you do meet me tomorrow morning at 9.30, we'll have a little parenting 101 session, okay? Um, that's just not how that plays out. Kids, any of you think your parents should call you Lord? I rescind the question, okay? Take it back. Um, but ultimately, Jesus is asking this question. He's saying, how is it that David would call his son, his authority, his superior, his deity? How is that possible? Here's what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying that you're wrong. He's not saying that the Messiah won't be a son of David. What he's arguing is the Messiah will be no mere descendant of David. What he's arguing is that the Messiah will be more than just offspring. But he will be Lord. So much so that David, inspired by the Spirit, saw the Lord, the Messiah, exalted to the right hand of God and all of his enemies subjected, defeated, subjected under his feet. So what Jesus is ultimately arguing here is, do you have 
big enough a view of the Savior? Is your view of the Messiah big enough? Is your view of the Messiah divine enough? Is your view of the Messiah exalted enough? Ultimately, here's what Jesus is saying. The Messiah, Jesus, is not a mere human descendant of David. Now, we can say the other side of that. He is a human descendant of David, but not merely a human descendant of David. He's divine. Second, Jesus is saying that the Messiah, he is the Lord of David who will reign with Yahweh the Lord. And you might be saying, okay, like, why does this matter? Why does this matter? I'll give this to you as simply as I can. The greater the identity of Jesus, the greater hope we can place The greater the nature of Jesus, the greater help he can render to his people. The greater the nature of Jesus, the greater things we can entrust to him. So if Jesus is just merely a human descendant of David, then all he could do is make the life of a generation of Israel a little bit better. But if he is divine, if he is at the right hand of God, if he reigns over heaven and earth, if all his enemies will be subject under his feet, if he will reign forever, then he can bless his people forever. So we can trust him with life and death. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more in our next point. But what Jesus is ultimately saying is, do you, O Pharisees, have great enough of a vision of the Messiah that you're looking for? So, friends, I just want to say this. We're just saying we're fighting a battle that Christ has already won. That's true. So what I'm eager for us to get our minds around today, that if you're struggling today about provision, wondering from where will my help, The greater the nature of Jesus, the more you can look to him for that provision and ask him to help. If today you are in the throes of despair and depression 
and anxiety and fear and hurt and you don't know where to look. Okay, if that's you, please come talk to me after the service. I don't want you to walk through this day alone. But you don't need me. You need a Christ who is eternal and all-powerful and able. If you're just filled with guilt and shame and wondering what that means before the Lord, you need a Christ who's defeated sin and death. If you're anxious about your children, their faith or lack thereof, their spiritual maturity or lack thereof, their wise decision-making or lack thereof, you need a Christ who is above all things and is not limited by anything to cry out to. So, let's do this. Those of us that love theology, Jesus is making a theological point. Theology is good and it's a gift. And those of us that love practicality, Jesus is also making a practical point. The greater identity that Jesus carries, the more he is able to do for his people. And so I'm just calling upon us to take this passage and say, how do we get the biggest biblical vision of Jesus we possibly can get? So that pushes us then to our second point, our second walk through the passage. A question of truth. A question of truth. What truth does this passage give to us? Ultimately, I think Jesus is doing several things here. He's he's showing the Pharisees that God's promises are true and remain true. He's showing the Pharisees that everything the Old Testament says about Jesus the Messiah will come to pass. It is a faithful guide. Second, we're told in verse 46 that this little encounter puts an end to the public questioning of Jesus. It says they did not dare to ask him any more questions. Now, I'm not sure that it satisfied all of their questions, but they realized that going public wasn't going to work. And then third, I think this is really important. Jesus introduces an Old Testament passage, an Old Testament theme, that's going to serve the church well in understanding who he is. So he gives Psalm 110 verse 1. Fun fact, if you care to know, this becomes the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. So I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say he's giving the early church a theme to interpret who he is. Now, now what does the passage say? The Lord said to my Lord. Now, the way this is printed here in the The New Testament doesn't help us a ton, but if you were to flip on back to Psalm 110 in your Bible, what you're going to see is the Lord, L-O-R-D there is capitalized, speaking of Yahweh, said to 
David's superior, sit at my right hand until your superiors, or excuse me, to your enemies are put under your feet. So what's being said here is Messiah will be elevated to the right hand of God. And at the right hand of God, he will rule and reign over all things until all of his purposes are fulfilled and until all of his enemies are subjected to him. That seems to be the kind of Messiah that we're eager to follow. Now, the way this plays out in the New Testament is first it's quoted... I'm just going to do a little rundown of of, of the ways it's used and the themes that are developed to help us kind of see like, oh, this is why this matters. In Acts chapter 2, verse 34, Peter's preaching. And he quotes from Psalm 110.1, and he says, Therefore, Jesus didn't die and go to the grave like David, but he is currently the Lord, and he is currently the Christ. And so Peter is using Psalm 110.1 to, to connect the resurrection to the lordship and the messiahship of Jesus. We can trust the living Christ as he rules and reigns from the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 Again, quotes from this passage. And the author of Hebrews is is 13 verses into arguing that Jesus is greater than the angels. So he's not only greater than humanity, but he's greater than the angelic beings. And he says, But to what angel has God said, Sit at my right hand until I subject all your enemies? Under your feet. So the author of Hebrews uses this verse to argue that Jesus is greater than angels. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 13. The author again uses this verse and an allusion to this verse to argue that Jesus now sits at the right hand of God, having accomplished everything necessary for our salvation. There's no more work for Christ to do to earn the salvation, and the blessing of God for the people of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, Paul uses Psalm 110 to say that Jesus indeed is reigning now over the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is ultimately in his hands as he reigns over all things. Friends, The blessing of God comes to people through Jesus. The salvation of God comes to people through Jesus. The mercy and the love and the care and the compassion of God come to people through Jesus. Therefore, as we yearn for those things, where do we look? To whom do we look? We look to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. As others wrestle and yearn and look for those things, 
To whom do we point? We point to Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. I believe, friends, that if we take this vision that Jesus is giving us here seriously, then what we'll see flowing in our lives are thoughts like this. I need to open the scripture and read it so I can learn anew how to trust Christ. I think we'll start to think thoughts like this. I need to pray more. Plead more. Turn to the Lord more because I believe that Christ is alive at the right hand of God and able. The greater we understand the nature of Jesus to be, the greater hope we can have. And I mean that personally, I mean that in our families, I mean that in this church. Jesus wants his followers to have a vision of Messiah that doesn't end in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. It doesn't end with his death on a cross but transcends all of reality for all of time. That hope is what he's invited us into. And that hope is what we long to shape us even now. So our Father and our God, would you take these words from your scripture? And as much as they're true, as much as they're right, as much as they're Good, as much as they're helpful, would you cause us to believe them today, receive them today? Lord, would you do work among us in this gathering? We pray now in the name of Jesus.